Come on, Charlie. We must go. Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without your plum pudding. <laughs> Are you Mrs. Brad Campbell? Mrs. <laughs> <It's just> Badly. <laughs> to the Spare Pratt's Christmas special. Yes. So we're all sat More enthusiasm here. for Christmas. What? More enthusiasm hey. for Christmas. Yes. yes. In case hey. for, for people, regular listeners who can't remember who that voice is, he's back. He's been Hello, everyone. It's Chris. I've been off jaunting around the galaxy making coffees for many Zylurians. It's a Christmas Whoa. miracle. Hallelujah. So we're all and He sat also here. brought some gin. Yes, we're all Yay. sat here with drinks. So I have some rum and coke. I've got some Elvis juice. Oh, what? Dog. Elvis juice. I'm glad that isn't Elvis juice. <laughs> Good Elven juice. Dog. And it's strange names. Juice of the elf. Oh, um, we've got those vodka and I think it's apple ties as a mixture because we have odd stuff in our house and I'm just mixing <laughs> it up. And I've got a gin and tonic, which is a Juniper Plus Blend 0.1 with Juniper, Cassia Bank, Cardamom, Pink peppercorn and blood orange with Mediterranean fever tree tonic. That's my radio voice. Other gins are available. So we thought, given that it's Christmas and we've all got a drink, we thought we would do a, a Christmas story. So, so in keeping with that, we are going with the Christmas story that apparently everybody's doing this year, including the Pieces of Eight podcast, which if you haven't listened to, it's very good. Won't be as good as ours, I'm sure, but still very good. So we're going to talk about Chimes of Midnight. Doctor Who, The Chimes of Midnight. Well, Charlie, where are we? I don't know, Doctor. It's too dark. You were supposed to be getting me to Singapore, you know. 1930, remember? An Edwardian Christmas. How lovely. Hmm, I never much liked plum pudding. Cook always used to make far too much of it, and we were still picking our way through it by New Year. Oh, I love a bit of plum pudding, though. Charlie... There'll be a death here soon. Edith, what are you saying? Who's dead? I can make you warmer than that fire ever could. Can't you just leave it, I said. I only wanted a kiss. Always been your favourite, ever since you were a little girl. It certainly has. You'll make me plum pudding forever, won't you? Even when I'm grown up. <laughs> There'll be another murder soon. And everyone will forget me. Don't you forget me, Charlie. Mr. Shaughnessy, you're pointing a gun at us. Yes, sir. That's not a very nice way for a well-bred butler to behave, is it? You are not to go upstairs. It is not our place. We only go upstairs when we are summoned. Please, don't leave me here on my own. Doctor? Doctor, where are you? Of course, it's not proof. I mean, I suppose I could be lying when I said I didn't kill her. Oh, yes, as of course could I. Stand to reason. Once you've committed murder, a bit of fibbing is hardly going to bother your conscience, is it? It's mocking us. Whatever this force is, it's mocking us. 
This discussion of Chimes of Midnight will contain some huge spoilers, so please make sure you've listened to Chimes of Midnight before you listen to what we say. So this was the eighth Doctor and Charlie, of which we've done a few recently, but this is the one which I think everybody thinks of as the Christmas big finish. And it's very well received, and it's also by Rob Shearman, who also did Jubilee that we did recently. So it's a big festive bash. So what did everyone think of it? Wonderfully traumatic, as all Christmas should be. This is a man from saying who's in customer service and hospitality. Everything. You have my sympathies. I too have worked in hospitality over the Those days are long gone, mate. They're long, long gone. Stay away. Now I'm still traumatised. I thought it was fabulous. I really enjoyed it. And I've listened to it about five times again and again, just because it is so well done. It's really good. And I actually, it's one of the ones I kind of wish they would do a, a film version of. I think it would play very well. That's it. Good night. Mic drop. T- takes a big swig. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this one. It was a wonderful mystery at the same time as being incredibly deep for such a kind of a short plot. Let's say like straight to A, a to B with a very little C, but great mystery wrapped in an enigma. Wrapped in a pigs and blanket. A to B without any C. Don't you mean A to C without any B? He really does, doesn't he? You do go A to B without going to C. No, I thought it was fab because also it did address the anomaly of Charlie having supposed to have died. So I thought that was quite a nice scoop and round up as well. I thought that was handy because I had been querying that in my journey. I think that's what I really enjoyed as well was having listened to Storm Warning again recently and I've not listened to the other one was it Sword of Orion Stuart? Sword of Orion the, the one that one. came after yeah yeah and so that is on my hit list but then reading, listening to this one and it being a story arc direct tie-in to the, kind of the whole Charlie mystery really really thoroughly thoroughly interesting and I'm really going to go back and go through her her arc it would make a great it would genuinely make it, I, this is why I suppose Big Finish is so Harold has been brilliant in giving the doctors who haven't had chances to do these cool stuff. What could you imagine what the TV series would have been like with this arc, this sort of these little stories, if this was Paul McGann's Christmas special? What about next? What's the next series? Oh my God. The anticipation. So Doug, what did you think about it? It was, well, I mean, I, I fairly much from the start of the episode, I thought this is going to have to be linked back to storm warning in some way. I didn't know exactly how, and I wasn't sure how many stories there were between them, if it was this was the next one. So looking back, I've found out that there were five stories, sorry, four other stories after storm warning before this one. So there's obviously been some plot going on in there. But yeah, it was nicely linked back to that. But I'm glad that we'd actually watched storm warning or listened to storm warning first, because I think doing it the other way around would have made no sense at all. I wouldn't have had any clue at all as to what was likely to be coming in the story. I, I'm not quite as positive because I, I, I'm just not a fan of these sort of Groundhog Day type stories. It's always um, Doug, isn't it? It's always Doug. Well, it, exactly, exactly. It's always it's not Third Doug. Doctor, you don't want to know. It's, it's not the Annihilators. <laughs> exactly. No, I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just, I think a little bit, you could have done with a bit of bit less of the. I mean, it was good in a way because you had each. I don't really want to talk about this straight away, but everything resets and resets and resets multiple times. And each time it resets, in a way, it's not like Groundhog Day because Groundhog Day you slowly progress through. But in this story, 
things change, like different characters are murdered and they're murdered in a different way, or they've committed suicide in a, a manner that's completely impossible to have committed suicide by drowning yourself in the first place, where if you'd been standing up, you would have collapsed as the doctor or the inspector, as I think he's known the first time, and then he's uh, he's an amateur sleuth, I think, the second time around. So that, there's a lot of interest in that way, but I just I, I just get a little bit bored by these things where they keep resetting and resetting and resetting. It wasn't too bad, actually. When I listened back, so first time I listened to it, I listened to it when I was doing my commute down the motorway to and from work, which is never the best way to listen to them. And I listened to it again for the second time today before the podcast. It was all fresh. And I didn't quite so confusing. Well, it wasn't even a confusing listen, I guess, the first time. I, I guess I just wasn't paying as much attention the first time, so... But I kind of knew what the outcome was going to be at the end of it quite early on in the story, which is not usual for me with murder mystery type things. So, But it was good because we'd listened to Storm Warning and unlike some of the other ones where we've not had some of the previous plot, it's been a bit hard to follow some of the some of what's going on or why things are going on or why things are being said. So, so that was good. And I'll leave it there for just now. I, I, I love a, a reset mystery to contrast, but this, but it's for me, it's, it's these it's looking for the little changes. They kind of like the okay, every, every small change to the plot or the sequence of events is going to lead to clues for the outcome or who's in charge, who's the grand the grand master of the whole. What are we looking for? Grand schemer or reason why everything's happening. I got flashbacks to a Star Trek episode, Cause and Effect, where Enterprise keeps crashing into the same ship, coming out of an anomaly several times over, and each time there's a slight memory of the previous time loop obviously with times of midnight that the doctor and charlie know exactly what like who each other are what the the situation is but uh, i do like that kind of figuring it out as you go along because everything's confusing yet the same and slightly different i enjoy that little mystery bit it does kind of like it with this story though i think it did kind of explain it quite it it showed its hand quite quickly in terms of okay so the man upstairs the Lord, the Laird, or whatever he was called again, I forget, he's either being charged. Turns out, spoilers, I suppose, drop this one. Turns out to be the house, who's an entity. And yeah, okay, so that that's the, the man in charge. But I, I really enjoyed the reveal of it being someone from Charlie's past. Didn't see I, that see, coming. I, I thought I, quite early is- on, with the references to the, the cook, that there was maybe a link to Charlie. I thought then, oh, there's maybe something to do with Charlie quite early because it seemed like the cook did know her. There was a few things that were said that made me think, oh, maybe the cook cook is aware of who she is. But, I mean, comparing it to, obviously, the previous one by the same author we listened to with Jubilee, and this is definitely not quite as batshit. Yeah, I think, yeah, much fewer badgers. I think the story in terms of emotional impact is just kind of like, just had to figure it out and it was less kind of like because there was a, a tighter cast not because there's probably about the same amount of cast in in jubilee but less for them to do this is more just here's your set roles just going around and around and around so there's not as much well there's no character development so you do need to really bother with expanding these characters just you're the butler you're the driver and that's all you the role you're really playing so, I mean, there wasn't any character development, was there? There was there was changes as the Doctor and Charlie interact with the, the characters. Like when they they talk about the the driver and the type of car, it was... Oh, what type of car it was? A Chrysler, was it? 
that Chrysler didn't exist by then, so it was Bentley or the other way around. And then after that, all the characters are talking about that, whereas I don't think all the characters were there at that point. It was just the driver. So there's obviously something linking all the characters. So, you know, you've got that at the back of your mind. How did they know that? So, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in the story. It wasn't that I just didn't like the story full stop. It was it was just a, a little bit too much of the repetition with its slight changes. But listening back to it, there wasn't nearly as much as I remember because I remember the like two episodes of that, but there wasn't. It was only the, the second episode and maybe slightly the third one was, was most of when that happened. So, but the the episodes got longer as it went on. I know you, you always remind me that I you know, pay attention to the length of these stories. And I think they started about 27 minutes and goes up to 33 or something. So I, I just felt that the, the last episode maybe had been a bit shorter and been a bit been a bit sharper because of that if it had been shorter but uh, there's a lot of exposition i suppose at the end i thought it was sorry i thought it was really kind of creepy the way mary and the chauffeur were quite happy to accept that either one of them might be a murderer and we're just like oh god doctor it might be him it might be me i don't know (laughs) someone one of us dinner in so (laughs) i mean what what do you what do people think about that because they were all they were all sort of trapped there by the house and they've obviously got well i think they were all part of what was carter's name edith's past which is sort of explained Mm. towards the end of it that they're all figures like the the chauffeur was somebody that in one of her jobs it was it was her and multiple well at least two different houses that she watched in in different roles but possibly more than that so they're all i guess caricatures maybe that's not quite the right word of amalgamations of various yeah yeah. i i thought all the female characters were variations of edith herself Mm. because obviously there was she talked about having had an affair with the chauffeur and the cook she talked about the fact that she cooked for charlie and that she obviously she'd started as a scullery maid so i felt that all of those female characters were some kind of an amalgamation of her history and obviously everything came from her mind be it changed you know as she went along It, it was definitely an interesting one and i like the sort of murder mystery it felt quite agatha christie and i think that was very deliberate that it was made to feel that kind of yeah you know, 1920s sort of murder mystery. A unicorn in the walk um, sort of vibe. Yeah, I mean, it kind of felt a bit a bit earlier than that, but kind of almost a mousetrappy thing. You could see that on stage, you know, that that kind of thing felt like it could, it could work on stage. And I think maybe that led to part of why it all felt a bit act, acting from all of them. It all felt like they were a little bit, a bit weird and a bit over the top. I did enjoy it that when they, I enjoyed the fact that they were, willing to change the facts to suit what they felt the story should be and the doctor and charlie were sitting there going no wait a minute this isn't how it is and i thought as i always do with the doctor and charlie they make such a good double act that they play off each other really well and i think it was in some ways it was in the official story she she was the one who kind of was able to go out and do some stuff that you don't always see from her and there was obviously a bit of emotion and a bit of talk about her past. Yeah, you very much felt you very much felt that towards the for the second half, you get to more interaction with her and Enid, and he's like, because clearly, as you say, there is that link there, and it's something I didn't quick pick up on quite as quickly as I probably should have. I got maybe just listening to it and just going along with the story, trying to figure out the mystery rather than actually thinking about it. is it from a character's perspective, and that it's oh, Charlie's the link, the one. Yeah, see, I mean, again, come back to what I said earlier. I want to go back and listen to the interim episodes between Storm Warning and and this one. But yeah, very much felt like her story and her her. It's all about her journey. And towards when the Doctor and 
what's the name of the house again? Edward. Edward. Yeah. Edward, yeah. Well, it's the, it's the street, really, isn't it? But it's it's the name of the character. Of the yeah. House. Slight tangent on this one. It very much felt like the Grudge. If you guys have ever seen that one, the either Japanese or the English dub version. A quick sum up in that Japanese house is a brutal murder of a family by a husband and the ghost of the child and the mother are in the house murdering more folk because violence begets violence and the house remembers. It's very, it's really, really well done. Japanese version. Wow. Good luck with that. The English one is with Sarah Michelle Gellar. So you got very much Buffy vibes the entire way through. Recommend it. Terrifying. But so this has the same sort of emotions in my head. It's the house has got all the horror. Okay. So the bad guy is now the house. Okay. And then when you realize it's actually is all Enid and her kind of experiences of all things and how it all ends between the who who should live, who should die, is it the house who's now become sentient or does Enid get a second chance at life? It's a really sorry, a fascinating switch of the story from your classics, the Agatha Christie murder mystery slash time reset story. It's a very personal one for Charlie. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was certainly interest that that last episode was interesting in the the uh, the perspective of well, well the, the, the bit that confused me a bit was that surely charlie would have recognized edith because she'd worked in the most recent well it when before charlie went on the r101 now it doesn't really say how many years before that but it must have been relatively recent so she's obviously was it 24 years younger i think in this story so presumably she would have been mid thirties to forty. I don't know when you were started as a scholarly maid, but probably you know, twelve or fourteen, I guess, in, in those those days. So I think it does I think it does say during the story that the hard years had changed her quite a lot. I think it, it specifically mentioned that she's almost unrecognizable for how she was then because of the hard life she's lived. Yeah, it is. But I mean, I, I mean, I know that life was a lot harder then and whatever, but you can't change that much. Surely it seemed a bit, that seemed a bit of a put in the plot just to explain it because it would be, I, I don't think as believable as you might think it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, the, the, a lot of the, the story was based around how, you know, how they were unimportant and their lives were based around their doing their job because they were there to work for the, those people upstairs who never really featured in this story. And it was very much a, a sort of an upstairs, downstairs type, but with the downstairs people involved in the story. I don't, I don't know, but I, I never watched Upstairs, Downstairs, which would have been on... Was it late sixties, early seventies? I guess so. In similar time to the end of Patrick Trout and start of John Pertwee era, I mean, obviously, you know, hundred years on, how how hard life was for people, and, and you know, how little self-respect, I guess, is the is the term that they would have had for themselves, because that's certainly what Edith was feeling. That she, you know, she, the only person that had shown her any any love, or you know, she made a big deal about you know Charlie being a best friend, and 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 you know committing suicide because Charlie had disappeared and died. So there's the only person that had made any, you know, made her feel in any way important had left this world. Therefore she had to feel, you know, had to commit suicide because she couldn't cope with going on or whatever. So she, there was obviously some, some mental problems that she was suffering. It can't just have been, you know, low level work people. Cause she, at that point she would have walked her way up to at least one or two levels above, you know, the, the scholarly made. I, I don't know. I just, it's, I never lived in that era and never really seen any programs about how people dramatized it you know 50 100 years later it's it's hard to know just exactly what life would have been like then i think that's one of the, the important parts of the story is that you, you have to 
it, it's not sort of not dis- suspend disbelief, but kind of accept that like servitude to upper class can't have been as as nice. I want to say a word nice, but like as palatable as it kind of like has come across in many dramatizations or TV shows and whatnot. It must have been like a lot, lot worse than we kind of maybe imagine it to have been. I'm just saying someone from the industry, but like that sort of demeaning sort of the as a as a customer service, you do your dignity is robbed from you a lot of times. Like so all mm. all it takes is someone just to they don't see you as a human being. I mean, a lot it has it has advanced so much and people have become far, far nicer. And so the character of Edith it was something I quite related to. And to have her struggles be played out in, in such a way that she would have a friend in this small girl who'd give her even just a bit of attention, a bit of a bit of kindness. And kindness can mean different things to so many people. All it takes is a, a smile and a nod. Like, oh, I feel a bit a bit better because I got a smile and a nod. Could make your entire day, you know. Yeah, I mean that side of it, I I yeah, I think you're right. Would somebody without any issues even in those days commit suicide just because that one yeah. person had presumably died in a crash i mean obviously there was no body found because i'm you know I, I, well forensics in those days wouldn't be anything like they are well they said they found her charlie's diary didn't they she and well diary but that's not a body is it so i think it was more to do with the fact that it that she wasn't allowed to have feelings so like mm. it wasn't so much that she'd lost a person it was the fact that she was supposed to carry on while everyone else got to, to grieve and I think there's a process that that has to happen even in these modern days we recognize there is a process people go through when they're grieving and that wouldn't have been recognized by the the underlings of the house or for the underlings of the house they wouldn't really have had that same accommodations I think so I don't think it's completely beyond the realms of impossibility that's just my view no, okay. Um, <laughs> no, 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 sorry, no. We're allowed views. Uh, it's quite maudlin, really. Can we yeah. cheer ourselves up with some? You know, on, on that, on that bombshell, tonic two. Hey, <laughs> ooh, Hit the spot. Christmas yeah. episode that's been written with all this unhappiness and depression in exactly, it. Exactly, so. exactly. No, it could be seen as a bit of an extreme reaction. So it's not saying that it isn't, but I could also see that it might not be necessarily. No, no, um, I'm, I mean, you, you've given me a different perspective and I quite understand that, you know, my perspective is maybe not the right one. I don't think there's a right perspective. No, I, I think that's. I've been reading a lot of philosophy for my studies at the moment, so I've already realised that no, no knowledge is real. Nothing is real. Yeah. Just a madman in the box. That's the <laughs> that's only. That's the only reality we all have. Everything's bonkers. The only reality is. The I'm doctor. down for that. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Joe, what's sure. the what's the connection? There's kind of like a zero Hornblower connection that I can see. I couldn't really find one. So I'm slightly disappointed, other than Paul McGann being a direct Hornblower hit. But that's a bit of a given, given that he's, you know, in it. It's a bit of a cheat, isn't it? So it feels like a little bit of a cheat. There's no like kind of secret surprise Hornblowers. To, To jump back to something you said there, Chris, the Grudge Japanese movie came out the same year. That this did and in fact really? this came out about seven or eight months before before oh blimey okay interesting i mean obviously not enough time that they could have copied it for the 
No, but it's just I do think there's a there's a certain zeitgeist for that sort of thing. People have the similar ideas at the same time, and that yeah. But yes, interesting to note that. So I've seen people describing it as a kind of a bit of a horror story. Would you? Would you guys agree with that? I would. I think yeah. If because of the grudge references, it it sort of fits in with the 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 sort of Christmas scary horror type theme, I guess. But I wouldn't class it as horror particularly. Didn't scare me. I think it's the it's the mystery, the real, the constant murder, and how that. Murder needs to happen for the the house to thrive and survive, and has done for however many thousands of years it, or however long it's been doing it for. I didn't think I don't think it actually said how long the house has been killing the same people for, but I think with horror, it is the the anticipation, the the unknown, the constant. People are dying in horrible, gruesome ways, and Can you, is you dying know. of swallowing too much. Plum pudding, horrific. I don't. It just seemed comedic to yeah, me. That bloody plum pudding. Like f- first time I heard this, this whole this this audio, that first episode really annoyed me. How much they were referencing this bloody plum think, pudding. Yeah, like, I, shut I up and get on. It, it was stuff like that 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 got me a bit. It wasn't the first episode. I thought the first episode was good. It just it continued all the way through the second episode, which is what I think got me a bit. Oh God, that, yeah. was the, that was the towards the second half of my commute home, that second episode. And then I think after that, it's, there's still some mentions, but it's not as in your face and as frequent. So because it, it does sort of, there is a sort of a halfway point in the in the story where you start moving on with the plot rather than repeat sort of the Groundhog Day or the, the wherever you can. Yeah. I think that's when I started twigging on to what this kind of the story was trying to go towards. It was this repetitive, everyone's saying the same thing. So, okay, there is some sort of overarching, someone's making them say these things. Is the, the same? It was always the same way, the, almost the same intonation, same catchphrase being repeated constantly. It's like, okay, this is done on purpose. It's not just there to annoy me. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I doubt he wrote it specifically to annoy you regardless. How old were you in 2002? Well, if he did, if he did, it was, it's... I don't know. It was just like get, I had it in my back of my mind when I first listened to it was that bit in Python where they just get on with it. That's yeah. how they could they probably could have cut it down a little well, bit. My thinking was it was probably a good three episode story, but it it just seemed a little bit too long for me over four episodes or maybe even three or four, but you know more twenty five minute length episodes rather than twenty seven to thirty whatever it was thirty three. Yeah, it's a really good three parter classic or really solid two-parter new who if you were to kind of cut it cut it down but not that it needs massively cutting down i would say like, you know, there's quite a lot of stuff that's important but it would have been as i think you joe you said at the start it'd been a really good tv movie hey. a christmas special i'm afraid i have some news for you there is a hornblower connection dun 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 so, now this is a tenuous link but it is a genuine hornblower so sue wallace who played mary Mm-hmm. She acted in Shameless as someone called Edith, funnily enough, which is quite interesting, but who was also in Shameless was Sean Gilder, who is a direct hornblower hit. It's six hey, degrees of hornblower. It's it totally made my day. That's just <laughs> That's three Way degrees, more than it? it should. Never mind. I'm quite delighted now. So, sure, at this point, I think she played like, some sort we of need, hornblower, We need a jingle. Like, theme song noise. Six degrees yeah. of hornblower. Obviously, we've met Charlie again now. Now, we've met Charlie three times in our travel so far. I'm assuming you're still enjoying Charlie then, everyone? Very much so. More so more so now. I'm far more intrigued and will, again, <laughs> do my homework 
and turn up on time, teacher. Anyway, yeah, I really like Charlie. I have a lot of time for, and I want to find out more. Again, with this, again, spoilers, you get a lot of, like, what I love about canon is callbacks and things making sense and it making sense and coming back and callbacks when I don't expect it. Now, I didn't expect it with this. I was hoping, well, not hoping for it, expected good old Christmas murder mystery, Agatha Christie style, bit of timey-wimey stuff, cool, brilliant, you know, everyone's sent home happy to get some serious character development for Charlie, character plot depth and some, again, Rob Sherman's really, has been really good at this and after, I think everyone knows like Jubilee's been my favourite so far because it is just mad batshit crazy but also like psychologically in the writing is incredible. This one, again, much the same, but in terms of creating more depth to Charlie, I want to go back. I'm going to go back and do my homework for what I haven't, I should listen to, and also for what I need to listen to, because now I want this to be the full art. I need to listen to the full art. You're, you're obviously, you obviously really like Robert Sherman's writing then, so he's one for you. It's, it's, it's not just him. Again, like kudos for him and Jubilee and kudos for him in this, but is the character of Charlie now after a storm warning. I think that three times for that one now and twice for this. I think, yeah, it was really creepy how she um, started to become a child while she was eating the plum pudding. That was really creepy. And I thought that was, was very effective writing and effective performance. I was going to say effective acting because that's what it was. But I thought it was really, it was quite chilling actually, which is thing that really added to it and hear a bit more from her and a little bit of her youth and how she was brought up as well as like she's brought up in a house where the the cook is not going to be mean to her <laughs> she gets all the pumping yeah. in, doesn't she i th- i thought it was quite chilling to see how little charlie had noticed this person mm. really this person had worked their life around charlie being this kind and wonderful person and charlie was aware of them but not not in the way you would hope, given the situation. Yeah. And it was an interesting, I guess, interplay on the difference between servants and, and the, you know, the bosses for that time period. Oh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that was, that, yeah, that was you know, an interesting part of the story. And, and especially when, you, as you say, she sort of regressed to childhood for that. It was only a short period, a short scene, wasn't it? Or part of a short scene. Mm-hmm. And the doctor thought she, he was losing Charlie, I think, at that point, didn't he? Yeah, when she wants to, when they all come to grab their knives and weapons and go to to murk him. Yeah, that's right. Because she's gonna, she comes up yeah. and sees what they're doing, and then she's gonna join in, isn't she? Towards again the the finale with Doctor Who, with it, I suppose dramas in general. Like, so you've got the because she she had regressed to her kind of pre-Doctor mentality state and didn't remember him. But then he comes in and says, remember me, remember me, remember me. And it just, I guess this is a, a complaint I have for like all dramas where they kind of like ex machina sort of thing. Oh, of course, you're going to remember him. Of course, he's the, he's the, lead, he's the lead character. You're going to remember him. It in the I suppose it comes down to the writing performance for this little bit. I didn't feel as invested. It kind of lost me a little bit because it was like, of course, you're going to remember the Doctor. Same time, because he doesn't really kind of highlight. Again, this way, because I haven't seen the last three interim episodes I didn't feel I didn't have that bit where like oh my god she might not this could be the last Charlie episode you know 
I mean, it's an interesting, I guess it's a really interesting question, though, in Doctor Who in general, especially with the big finishes. Is there a lack of jeopardy because you know that the Doctor is going to get out of it because you know that that Doctor regenerates at a later point? So no matter what happens, it's not going to be the end of that Doctor. Don't you think that's true of any Doctor Who, though? Because you know it's an ongoing franchise now. So, I mean, okay, it stopped once before. Well, it stopped twice before, didn't it, with Colin Baker for a shop here, and then mm-hmm. after Sylvester McCoy, and then there was the movie, and then nothing, although the movie was completely separate really, to all the other Who stuff. But, you know, it's not going to stop because there's never going to be another Doctor. It's going to stop because they're not getting enough ratings or BBC aren't generating enough money or whatever. It's not going to stop because they're just going to end the character because that's mm-hmm. ending the franchise. The, as I think Stuart was said, that's kind of what I was kind of trying to get to, is the whole, there's no sense of jeopardy for most lead characters and leads anything again i think we told them the marvel characters in a previous podcast and that how there is no sense of jeopardy everyone's all your baddies are generally set up to be either easily beatable or just a a flash in the pan i'm not saying that this was a flash in the pan but it's more a case of like as you say you know he's going to get out of it you know it's not going to this is this infinite loop of murder scullery is going to be yeah, it's going to get hard. It's going to be fine. I like that murder scullery. That's it. Infinite loop. Do you have a murder scullery, Joe? Murder, do I do. It's a very big house. <laughs> I've got a murder scullery and I've got a normal scullery. I've got the it's all dumb, but more just... and I've got the one for the, the murder and stuff. It's got a sink in there too. It's marred. I, I was just saying, I thought they were the leads for the X-Files. Yes. <laughs> murder and scullery. Oh, God. That's what I thought Chris yeah. was talking about. <laughs> murder and skullduggery. But... Yeah, I suppose that the jeopardy maybe comes from the other characters, though. It's not knowing how it's going to end for the other characters, Mm -hmm. especially if they're characters that you come to like over a period of time. I mean, I guess you didn't know that wasn't going to be the end of Charlie. We did, Uh, because we turned up to the other podcast and know that she turns up later on, but you wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't have known which order these were in, though, Stuart. I mean, from what I've did a little bit of research when I was trying to work out where this came in the you know the number of stories, and they do appear to be. I think there were four stories in the first year, and then six in the second year, a year apart. These the first half of each year, and I'm, I'm not sure if there was much of an arc in the first one, but the second one supposedly there's an arc through the stories, and this one certainly seems to link back to the first story, and uh, that was great. Being able, to, you know, they've obviously based this story around what happened because, which is not something that happens very often in Doctor Who, I don't think. I think yeah, and that was that was a great part of this story. Again, I didn't know how this was going to end for her. However, she said before that, um, oh, hey, McGann and Fisher are coming back to do more Doctor and Charlie. Ah, uh, yes. But, but then, oh, but then so in the back of my head, I, when that's said, because I think one of the great, great exactly. things Big Finish that you can pop any story almost anywhere and it'll make sense. And that's why I think I really took this one because... For me, canon is very important and callbacks are almost key to hooking me. Ooh, okay, I've got a bookend here. I've got a start and I've got the current. So whatever happens in the middle, intrigue me. I think I think through all of Charlie's arc and with the certainly with the Eighth Doctor, there is kind of callbacks to the fact that she should have died on the R101. I think that's kind of an ongoing thing and that the issues that that's causing for the web of time potentially that there's someone who should have died in a fixed point of time who didn't can i ask a question is this resolved at all the the, the what happens with yeah, charlie uh, just, and they are just one yes and no yes perfect now whether you like how it's resolved might be a that's, different i'll, point, I'll get to that when i need i just you, need i would like to know that it is rounded off because that's would be a probably the most 
almost a Moffaty thing to do. So wow. all this wonderful, she's, wonderful storytelling, wonderful and just, build, and you know what? There's a damp squib. <sighs> but she's still. I mean, that's the thing. Charlie's still out. Yeah. There. You know, she's out there with the eighth Doctor. There's a point in time she's out there with the sixth Doctor, and then she goes off and does her own thing. And there's well, two series so far meant to be a third one coming of just the adventures of Charlie Pollard, Edwardian adventurers. Cool. I've listened to some of those. I've not heard her with the Sixth Doctor, so I've obviously missed a chunk. Yeah, they, that that comes when she leaves the Eighth Doctor and meets the Sixth. And it's an interesting point because... Surely Charlie would know. If she travelled with the Sixth Doctor, why does the Eighth Doctor not know who she is? So... Mm. I mean, apart from the fact that the Eighth Doctor loses his memory every ten seconds. That is fair. He does seem to have an issue. <laughs> So uh, going back to your jeopardy, surely it's wor- wor- worrying whether Charlie was going to survive the episode or not, maybe. Would she decide you know, that she had to die or not? Well, it, it wasn't decide to die, was it? It was, if she, maybe it's, it's Edith. It was, it was to, to yeah. decide whether to accept her life or yeah. accept her death, whichever time stream was kind of in flux at the time. Presumably that's what was going on. And also it was tied into whether Edith would have survived or ended up committing suicide. I think that's, for me, when I was listening to that bit, again, with the, like, I'm not sure where it's going for her, but obviously the doctor's going to be fine. No, but whatever's going to happen is going to resolve itself. It kind of came down to me thinking about Rob Sherman as a writer and be like, okay, Jubilee finished quite bleakly, as I think we discussed before. It just kind of just ended and... President Manny died in the street. And I was like, well, this, and how do how does he end this? And he just kind of was like, now I've just got to walk away from this story. It's like, are we going to do this again? Are we going to have a Christmas special with a really bleak ending? And mm. we didn't, which was, it was relieving. And at the same time, like, oh, thank God. Or thank Rob. Cool. We, we're going to have a nice... <laughs> thank Rob. Thank Rob. I've got a question. Do you think that that's the case because this was going to be part of an ongoing series and they hadn't worked out which order they were going to be released in? Or is it just because they don't want to get rid of any lead characters because they've got an ongoing series to keep going over potentially multiple years? Because I guess at that time, they didn't know... Because I think there were, was it the fifth, sixth, and seventh doctors were also having stories at that point. And they, you know, they wouldn't have had Tom Baker, I don't think, at that point no, doing any no. stories. So, you know, they, they had a limited pool a pool of doctors to, to chart stories for. And, you know, at any point, I guess any of them could have decided they'd had enough because, you know, they got fed up of being the doctor. Unlikely, I know, since they do conventions ad infinitum. But. I just, I was hoped it finished. I'm glad it finished the way it was, just to make it because it's Christmas. Happy it's ending Christmas. for Christmas. You have a good Happy ending. Ending. Yeah, that's the point. Christmas. I guess the other thing that's interesting to note is that this was probably the first Christmas Doctor Who episode in some ways that themed around Christmas since the Feast of Stephen, which was part of the Daleks Master Plan, which is a a ridiculous batshit episode that is no longer in existence, that ends with the Doctor breaking the fourth wall and turning around and wishing everyone a Merry Christmas, which is, I think, the only time the Doctor ever does anything like that. So... It's a really weird thing, and that's the only Christmas episode we would have ever had. You know, we never have we had got a script, episodes. Stuart. Have we got a script? Yes, there's sound recording of it. Let's do it. it I think, I think, we, have I think we have a sound recording of... Uh, I think there's a sound recording of every Doctor Who episode, so I think we, we've got that. But it is, it's a ridiculously weird one in which they go all over... Chase that it was in? No, it's the Dalek Master Plan. It's part of the Dalek oh. Master Plan. And they end up in like the Keystone Cops, and they end up in somewhere... In I think they end up in Z cars, the back of Z cars, or a, a variation of 
you know, Zed cars, it's so other TV shows of the time. It's very strange. I'd love to see it. I think it would be a great episode to see. And interestingly, I think it might be the only episode in which they is named after a companion. Or it's certainly one of very few. Because back in those days, classic Doctor Who had episode titles, which they dropped in, I think, about the 70s, 60s, late 60s. Well, it was, no, the, yeah, no, it was only the... I think they were dropped before the end of Hartnell's era, weren't they? Individual episodes, they, so it wasn't the Daleks episode one, it was whatever they were all called, I can't what those episodes were called. Each, each individual episode of each story of six or four had a different title. So, yeah, so on the whole, everyone enjoyed it, except Doug, who's grumpy, even at Christmas. The Grinch. <laughs> yeah, Doug is a Grinch, whereas the rest of us are, are happy Christmas elves. But yes, everyone enjoyed it then. So, what's it, last thoughts then from everyone? Really, it's a, a good, a really good murder mystery at Christmas. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I think you've persuaded me that I was a bit, bit more native than I should have been, and there's a lot more positive points than, <laughs> yes, than it's got on the first listen. Yes, Scrooge. It's tip your waiters. Tip your waiters. Be nice to your serfs. They are not nothing. <laughs> yes. Be. I guess that's the thing. Be nice to your servants. Don't eat Be too nice much to plum pudding. Because yeah. it might kill you. It might. <laughs> Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without that plum that's pudding. True. Now, oh, oh, Chris, do you want to do your impression? Oh, my she's bad, Crumble. Oh, what's my plum puddings? Oh, watch out. Oh, it's really good at Christmas. This gin's amazing. I mean, it's close enough. So, okay, so just to finish off, what's everyone getting from Santa? More gin. More gin. Joe, what are you getting from Santa? Oh, I'm hoping for some random musical instrument. What are you looking for for Christmas this year? Christmas? I don't know. I'm a Grinch. Whatever Santa brings should be a surprise. <laughs> well, you see, I've already had my Christmas present, and I, it's the whole... It's us. Yes, us. We're your are. Christmas present. No, it's the whole next year of Doctor Who Big Finishes from... Wow. Pre-ordered. Nice. From, uh, my, my lovely other half has bought me that for Christmas. Wow. Lucky. Lucky. Yeah. Job. So it means we've got a whole new year's worth of Doctor Who to do next year. <laughs> and also and a, a new series. series. Yeah. Eventually. Oh, oh one, one very last quick one then, because uh, it's just hit me. Everyone's favourite Doctor Who Christmas special. Voyage of the Damned. Yeah. Is that the same one that had the evil Santas? Maybe there's more than one with the evil Santas, are there? That's the one that's set on the starship Titanic. Right, which is not the evil Santas one, which I think might be the first Christmas. The evil, evil angels. angels. Yes, evil Santas is, is a Christmas invasion, I think. Yeah, that was probably my favourite one then, I think. Lots of... Well, the evil Santas came back did, for Donna's one. In the first one, the Christmas invasion, there's lots and lots of Hitchhiker's Guide references because there's lots of Arthur Dent things because he's wearing a dressing gown. David Tennant. Maybe it's that's why it's my favourite. This is his first episode. A Satsuma in the dressing gown, if I remember right. So, Joe? What was that one again with the Satsuma? Christmas Invasion, the first one with David Tennant. No, no, that's not the one I'm thinking of. I like the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe. And I also liked the one where there's the spiders on the face. And I've forgotten. Last Christmas. Oh, Last last Christmas. Christmas. Oh, my God. I'm in buckets every time. Face huggers. But then also Husbands of River Song is also. Oh, I love that one. Greg Davies, River Song. Peter Capaldi, it's a great mix. So I'll say my favourite one is ooh, The Snowmen. Mm-hmm. Because it's first time we meet Clara. I love the sort of callback to the great intelligence. And mm-hmm. Richard E. Grant is amazing in it. The Sherlock reference. It's got that, yeah. It's got the, I love the Doctor living in a cloud. I like that too. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and it's got the Paternoster gang. It's got everything. that, And, and for me... Do you know what it was, really? It was the first one in which we saw the face of the Doctor in the starting credits. Oh, it was, wasn't it? 
And that's something that I loved from classic Doctor Who. So the minute it was like, oh, it's going to be all right. It's going to be. I was going to say, it wasn't the first time you've seen No, it. no. It's the first time since classic Doctor Who that they, they had the face of the Doctor in the credits. Is that the one where is, is that the one where Strax throws a newspaper up to Clara and hits No, that's uh, Deep Breath. That's Capaldi's oh, first I one. Did, I did have to say that I really I like a bit of slapstick and that <laughs> was unforeseen and hilarious. And every time I rewatch it, it's still it's still funny. I don't know why anything with Strax is worth a watch. Yeah. yeah. What's that? What's that one where he, I think it is in the Snowman? Where he's like he's, he's in he's in the carriage. He's like you. Small girl, and it's like, oh, my boy, sir. Is that the Tom, one where the Tom, Tom, child Yeah, Tom Thomas, yeah. Thomas, yeah. Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. I, you'll go far. <laughs> I think that might be the Crimson. Was it? Is it Crimson? Oh, Crimson. Crimson Claw, Death. The Crimson Horror. Yeah. That's it. The Crimson something or other. No, it's it's the Crimson it. Horror. Damn it. Yes, I think. Oh, it, that was it. Yeah. I think it might have been that one, but I just love Strax. The actor who plays Strax once judged my other half in a big finish. Uh, cosplay competition. Dan Starkey for the win. <laughs> she was uh, she was playing. She was dressed as Bernie Summerfield, and the cosplay it was judged by him and Nick Briggs, voice of the Daleks. Cool. So there you go. That's an illustrious lineup. Big finish day. One of the big finish days. Cool. Anyway, yeah. fabulous. So needs to go. I do. I've got to go to sleep now. So Merry Christmas, one and all. Yes, Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas, everyone. Have the best time. Merry Christmas, everybody. And um, we'll Christmas be back. Wouldn't be Christmas without my plum pudding. Any plum pudding. <laughs> and we'll be back in the new year where we will get back to listening to the one that we said we were going to listen to before, which is The Harvest, which is my choice, so it's going to be awesome. And uh, we will see you all then. Have a great Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye. Bye. A great Christmas. See you next time. Plum pudding. Doctor Who. The Harvest. Doctor, Executive Security Officer Garnier regarded me strangely, as if he was afraid of me, as if the sight of me horrified him. Oh, no, 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 not at all, just healthy respect. Am I grotesque? There's a certain degree of swelling and suturing, but that's diminishing daily. It would be curious if he was afraid of me. That thing that came into this room beside him is far, far more terrifying. System recognizes staff Good morning. It is 0829am, October 12, 2021. You are logged in to begin morning shift. Thank you, sis. Do you know a Dorothy McShane works in human resources? No. She seems to have an employment record that doesn't quite check out. And as far as I can tell, she's showing an unhealthy interest in sea We're investigating St. Gart's Hospital, Mr. Hex, your place of employment, because we have reason to believe someone there is conducting potentially dangerous experiments with Xenotech. Which is technology of non-terrestrial origin. I have never seen London like this. Well, it'll become a familiar sight. Went there, Big Ben and the Museum of Parliament. You mistake me, Doctor. I mean, I have never seen anything like this. I have never seen in this way before. Shape, colour, perspective and dimension. The resolution so bright and filtered, unenhanced. I'm glad you're pleased. Seeing the world through new eyes, you, you are pleased, aren't you? Yes, Doctor. I think that is how I feel.